the beginning of the book of Vayikra is divided up. The first five parshiot, the first two of Vayikra and Tzav. Those two parshiot describe the different korbanot that are brought in the um, in the Mishkan or the Beit Hamikdash eventually, and of course that comes after the book of Shmot, where we finish building the Mishkan and. And so it makes sense that Vayikra and Tzav uh, would, uh, would teach us, Vayikra teaches about the Korbanot themselves. Then there are the Parashiyot of Shmini, Tazria, and Mitzorah. Now the second half of, of Shmini uh, contains the Parashiyot about which animals you can eat and which animals you cannot eat. And in, in distinguishing that, the Torah makes a use of the word Tameh and Tahor. There are animals that are called Tameh and there are animals that are called Tahor. Now, what that means, does that mean anything? Like if I knew Tameh, if I, if I knew the word Tameh, would I be able to recognize other animals that are not listed in the list? I'd be able to say, well, I can't eat them either because they are Tameh. Apparently, the answer is not, is not the case. Even though you may have heard that there are people who don't eat certain animals, um, even though they seem to comply with the standards of the Torah. Like, there are people who don't eat turkeys. There, there are such people, but that's because, uh, not because they know there's something, that there's no reason to think there's anything wrong with the turkey, it's just that there's no masorah. Somehow this idea came to, came to the fore that there are, uh, that the description of the animal is not sufficient, but you also need some kind of tradition that you ate the animal, that Jews ate the animal. So when the Jews came to America and they saw, you know, turkeys, they didn't all know what they were supposed to do. Most people took the easy way out and ate the turkey. <laughs> but some people uh, insisted on... So I'm, I'm just saying it's not perfectly clear. You can't say that the word tamay means something that can be applied to the animals, which is edible, which should be eaten, which should not be eaten. That's why the Torah contains a list. There's a list of the animals in the in the Torah. So even though you know that there are objective criteria like cleft hooves and regurgitation, right? But still, the Torah gives you a list. So if the objective was, was enough, why would the Torah list all these animals that you can eat that you can't eat? So I'm suspicious about new animals. That's what, that's what happened. In any event, the word tameh is used to describe uh, animals that you cannot eat, and the word tahor is used to describe animals that you can eat, even though the name, the words themselves, are meaningless when applied to animals. I mean, in other words, because you can't eat it, it's tameh. But to say it's tameh, therefore you can't eat it, I don't know what that means. So well, what do we, you know, we have nothing against the animals that we don't eat. And, uh, you know, everybody knows, uh, it's been written up recently, Harry Greenspan, you know Harry Greenspan, the, the, the dentist, 
um, who who thinks that you know the world is a happy wonderland for uh, Jewish curiosity or something. So he um, he had this um, he and Rabbi Machpud. I don't know if you, that name, Machpud, is one of the many kinds of Hechsherim that you can get in Eretz Israel. Eretz Israel has almost as many Hechsherim as there are people. So everybody could have their own, their own Hechsher. So Rabbi Machpud is a, uh, is a, Shochet, um, who learned the secrets of slaughtering animals that are not conventionally or not conventional and are usually not eaten and therefore they're not usually they're not usually uh, uh, slaughtered uh, like for example uh, giraffes I don't know if, if anybody is interested but uh, Rabbi Mahbud knows how to do it so they they have this dinner once a year he and his friend What's his name? Zivitovsky? Zivitovsky. So they have this dinner where they serve you locusts and giraffe or something. And, you know, of course, the background stories. Buffalo. Well, yeah, something. Buffalo, they used to have. Buffalo sausage, quail. Yeah, yeah, all this, all this stuff. Now, being very conservative in matters of eating, I never went. I just did not think that eating locusts would make my day. <laughs> you can see the frying pan, they can see a frying pan full of the locusts. And you don't know what, whether the sizzle is coming from the locust or coming from the pan. You know, where it's... Uh, anyway, it's hard to know if all those locusts are alive or dead. There's so many of them. And, uh, so if you want to eat a locust cake, that's the place you should go. So in any event, what I wanted to point out just is that the word tamay is not, doesn't help me. I mean, you know, I could not tell you, point at an animal and say that that is tamay because it smells tamay, or it looks tamay, or it acts tamay. The word tamay is simply the general category of things that you cannot eat. And the word tahor are the general categories that you can't eat. And that's in the second half of the parasha. Of Shmini, so I told you this by Yikra and Tzav, Ben Shmini. The first half of Shmini is about um, the 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 uh, induction of Aaron to the Kohen to become Kohen Gadol and his children who sinned and, and that whole story, which is repeated in Akremot, which is after the Shabbat. It's repeated then. That's the parasha that we know from Yom Kippur in the morning and Yom Kippur. We read that. That parasha. So now we're up to Tazriya Mitzora. Tazriya Mitzora is also about Tamei and Tahor. It's about Tamei and Tahor, but it's about people. It's about people, and usually the novel thing about people with Tamei and Tahor is that the state is not permanent. But if you're Tamei, you could become Tahor. And if you're Tahor, you could become Tamei. So that differentiates us from the animals. That the animals, once they're categorized as Tamei and or Tahor, that's it. They never move out of that category. But people, 
people are sometimes tahor and sometimes tameh, and more specifically in the parashiyot of Tazria and Mitzorah, both of these parashiyot deal with leprosy. I mean, in the Torah it's called tzara'at, and we call it leprosy. I don't know what it really is, but I know that it was devastating. Whatever it was, it was a devastating, it was a devastating kind of uh, disease, and the people who have leprosy are also tameh. Tameh meaning they can't do certain things, they can't be involved in certain things, they can't come into contact with certain things. And tahor, they could become tahor, however. Now, interestingly, Chazal understood this whole business of leprosy, tum'ah and tahara, as being a salient punishment for Lashon Hara. And how that happened, we will see in a moment. But in other words, even though we usually consider tum'ah as being something that is contagious, for example, a dead body, right, is tameh. Anybody who comes into contact with a dead body also becomes tameh. So that it's the contact, it's the connection that makes you tameh. Of course, uh, uh, with women who give birth or women who are menstruating, it's a tum'ah that comes out of themselves. Like they change, these women change from tahor to tameh, from tameh to tahor. Okay, you have to also uh, um, use the mikveh, uh, which the Rambam explains as being a psychodrama, almost. The Rambam says at the end of Luchot Mikvaot that anybody who thinks that the mikveh makes you tahor is is awful, awfully mistaken. The mikveh does not make you tahor. What makes you tahor is your will to be tahor. The mikveh is just a convenient setting for you to uh, to employ that will to make you tahor. That's what the Rambam says. It's the last halacha in Hilchot Mikvaot. And it certainly is not an idea that most people would come to on their own. Right? They would not come to it on their own. But the Rambam said, not only did he say it, but he said, anybody who disagrees with this is a fool. I mean, it was almost to him idolatrous to think that someone is Tameh, you go into the mikveh, you come Tahor. He wouldn't have that at all. He saw the mikveh as being a kind, a way of reminding you that if you have the right attitude, you become Tahor. So the Rambam, living, of course, a thousand years after the destruction of the temple, and living in a world as we do, in our world where everybody is Tameh, right? Today everybody is Tameh. And there's no no way out. There's nothing you could do about it, because in order to become Tahor, you have to have the sprinkling of the of the, of the dust of the para aduma. So we don't have the para aduma, we don't have the sprinkling. So everybody who's Tameh is Tameh. And yet, what we do is we kind of make believe about certain things. I'm not, I'm not talking about the halachic distinctions, but uh, the tumah of a, of a woman when when she is menstruating, and uh, the tumah of the kohen, right? The kohen also 
it's Tamei. Every Kohen today is Tamei, just like everybody else is Tamei. And yet, yet there's a special, according to the Gemara says, there was a special prohibition that even a Kohen who is Tamei should not become Tamei. And so, you know, where this comes up is in funerals and in hospitals that, that the Kohanim uh, have to stay out of the way, so, so to speak, uh, on the side. And uh, uh, so all of this has to do with Tumah and Tahara. But our introduction to the various laws of Tumah and Tahara, which can sometimes be very complicated, and also come up with uh, odd notions. For example, uh, the halacha is that Tumah is bokeh ve'ole ad ha'shamayim. If you have a grave, have a grave, and you stand over that grave, uh, you become tameh. So if you're a kohen, you can't stand over a grave. And suddenly, somebody thought of this wondrous idea, what if you fly over a grave in an airplane? Since the, the Tumah is like a laser beam that goes uh, straight up to heaven, and assuming that the plane doesn't get that high, it would be problematic for Kohanim to fly over graveyards that have Jewish bodies buried there. So uh, mostly we don't know. If you fly too high, the graves are there. It's like a little too complicated. But in, in Tel Aviv, near Chulon, there's a very big cemetery which seems to have a lot of Jews buried in there. And the planes from Ben-Gurion generally seem to fly over that cemetery, which is not... And they're not so hard. You actually see it. I mean, you could see the cemetery when you fly over. And so, um, I don't know, I haven't heard about it recently, but for some time there was a suggestion that all the Kohanim should sit in uh, bags, like wrap themselves up in something. But, you know, then they died of suffocation, not of, uh, <laughs> not of tumor. So it wasn't such a, such a good idea. So, the first point that I wanted to make is the, uh, at the top of the sheet is the, are the first two psukim of the, I mean, what I did up to now is just sort of give uh, an overview of sorts. So, Tzarat is associated with Lashon Hara by Chazal. And is not, and therefore Tzarat is not considered to be what you would call a natural kind of event. An illness is passed by whatever, passed on from one person to another. It's not like that. It's rather a punishment for the Shonarad. How did the, how did Chazal get to that understanding of, of Tzarat? So I want to look first, if you look first at the top of the page, it says, Okay, that, that we have to explain. So this Pasuk says, speak to B'nai Yisrael as follows. A woman, that's what the Torah calls um, uh, giving birth. Right? The word, the Hebrew word, Zerah, is seed. 
is a seed usually applied today to the man. Ishaki uh, Tazria means, I guess, it comes to fruition. It is as it should be. There's a baby. So he says, That baby happens to be a Zachar. So she becomes Tmei'ah. Remember, it's because of emissions from her body. Make her Tmei'ah. Now, because she's a, a woman, a person, she can change that status after seven days by doing A, B, and C, right? She can change her status. Unlike the animals that cannot change their status, this woman can. According to the days that she is considered to be a nida, that's, those, that's the number of days that she is to make up. So what I wanted to, to mention is um, is the Rashi. Rashi says, Isha ki tazriya. Isha ki tazriya. Okay, I mean, what kind of question could Rashi possibly have? He quotes Omar of Samlai from the Tanhuma. He quotes Rabbi Samlai. Kishem she yitzirato shel adam achar kol behemach hayabahof b'masebereshit. Just as the creation of man comes in Bereshit after the creation of the animals, right? The sixth day, the fifth day, he says, Kach, Basei Bereshit, Kach Torato Nidparsha, Achar Torat Behima Chayava Alf. Similarly, the order of things in the Torah is that first there is uh, the Tum'ah, of Behema Chayav Of, the animals, the wild beasts and the birds, uh, uh, and then, and then man. So there was a question here. There was a question. Rabbi Simlai, every, they all knew the question, so they don't have to repeat it. But the question was, how come Shmini comes before Tazriah? How come the Tumavatara, the laws of the animals, come before the laws of Man slash woman. Isn't it true that man is the glory of creation? And if you were going to summarize the halachot, you would start from man slash woman, and then you'd add on the animals. How come the animals, how come the animals come first? Omar Abi Simlai. Oh, it's, it's just like creation. In the creation, God created the animals, and only after that, God created God created man and uh, and woman. Okay, so does that mean anything? Is that it's something that what are we supposed to understand from that? What is the uh, uh, so you could say that Shmini Tazria Mitzora are like part of the expanded story of creation? That there's a difference. God created the animals, and then God created man. Here in these parashiyot, God says, but there is a further distinction. You don't see it, but you have to understand. The animals, they're fixed. They can't change. They're not affected by tumavatara. Man, woman, they can change themselves. <laughs> Tameh can become tahor. So this option that we have to become tahor makes us unique in the creation, in the world of creation, and therefore is like an appendix, according to Rav Simlai, 
is an appendix to the story of creation. The story of creation doesn't end in Breshit, but you can say that the story of creation ends in, in, in Tazria. Right here in Tazria and Mitzorah. That's what, that's what, uh, what he said. Okay, we'll keep that in mind. And now, we said we would talk about, about, uh, Lashon Hara. How do we get to Lashon Hara? So you remember these psukim in Shmot Berik Dalit. God is talking to Moshe Rabbeinu and trying, it would seem, to convince Moshe Rabbeinu to take this job of getting the Jews out of Mitzrayim. Right? I mean, we've just gone through Pesach, so we should remember that. The Pesach says this, Vayad Moshe Vayomer Vehein lo yaminuli So Moshe Rabbeinu's response to God's offer is, Hey, lo yaminuli, they will not believe in me. Alternatively, I won't be successful. If I'm not going to be successful, why should I take the job? I mean, that's, that's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> they won't listen to me. And they will say, we don't know that you come in the name of God. I mean, how could we possibly know that? How could we possibly, in spite of the fact that as Kodesh Bohu promised Abraham Avinu that they would be Released from Mitzrayim, from the slavery of Mitzrayim, they would say to uh, to, Abba, to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu says, "They, the day Israel would say about me, how are we supposed to know that this guy is telling the truth? How do we know that God instructed him to do this?" So, Pasuk Bet, Ma ze biyadecha, Ma ze. We'll see that that you see. You see the parentheses is kind of I don't know what you call that side, you know angle brackets. The angle brackets that's what's called. <clears throat> no, I think there's a mathematical name for that. Angle brackets. It sounds like how you put up a bookcase. <laughs> no? Angle brackets. Anyway, the angle brackets in the angle brackets is the word that is written in the Sefer Torah. And outside of the angle brackets is the way we read it. So the way we read it is ma ze, like two words. Even though it's written as one word. Right? It's written as one word. Ma ze biyadecha. Vayomer mate. I've got a mate staff in my hand. Vayomer hashlichei arts and God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, throw it down on the ground. And it became a snake. And Moshe Rabbeinu ran away from it. So of course, I mean, all the questions, since we've been learning Chassidus together, you understand? Why would Moshe Rabbeinu run away from the snake? I mean, if it was a snake snake, so of course he's going to run away. But if it's God's snake, what are you going to run away for? I mean, it's, uh, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, what was Moshe Rabbeinu thinking? That if he ran away, the snake wouldn't run <coughs> But that God would take them out of Mitzrayim? Sense seems odd. Vayom Hashem. Vayom Hashem el Moshe. God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Shlach yadcha v'echoz biznavah. Biznavah. 
stick out your hand and grab onto its tail. So Moshe grabbed onto it, and it became, it reverted to become a mateh, mateh b'chapo. So that this this uh, uh, trick with the staff becoming a snake and then the snake becoming a staff that will convince Bnei Yisrael that you are real that you're real that what you say is true that you are Moshe Rabbeinu that you're going to get them out of Mitzrayim right that's what that's what the pasuk says. That's what the Pasuk says. Pasuk Vav. Vayome Hashem lo od havei na yadcha v'chekecha v'yavei yadom v'cheko v'yotzi'a v'yidei yadom v'tzara'at mishalik. So God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Od. Od. Again. Well, what are we missing here? What is it that we we expect the Torah or God to say to Moshe Rabbeinu? After all, Moshe, God said Moshe Rabbeinu, they're going to believe you. You do the trick with the staff, and they believe you. So what what is it that is going to be added? So the pasuk says, put your hand in your uh, on your chest in your in your cloak, and he does that. He takes it out. And his hand is tzarat, filled with tzarat. So this whole thing, so he put his hand in his, in his cloak and he took it out and then his hand was perfectly, perfectly healthy. So we don't know why you needed to if one was sufficient according to, to the psukim. And why these two particular uh, uh, activities or miracles were chosen? The miracle of the snake and the miracle of the leprosy. We don't know. We don't know that. So if you look at... Uh, I don't believe it, it's you. <laughs> if you turn it off, it won't do that again. So now it says, let's look at the Rashi. You see the Rashi? You remember Mazebi Adecha? You see the Rashi? This is why it's written as one word. Mem Zayin, hey, without a space. Lidrosh mizeshev biyatcha. Mazav biyatcha, ata chayav lilkot. Shechachshadeta bikshirim. Ma, mazav biyadecha. Mazav biyadecha. In other words, to de-emphasize de- the question, like God is saying, God is not saying to Moshe Rabbeinu, what is it that you are holding in your hand? Rather, he is saying, Moshe, think about what you've got in your hand. What do you mean, think about it? Because that staff can be used to give you a few good whacks. 
And why do you deserve a few good wags? Because of what you said about B'nai Yisrael. And what did you say about uh, B'nai Yisrael? Pasuk Aleph, back up. Vayad Moshe, Vayomer, Vayelo, Yaminu Li. They're not going to believe me. I mean, well, how do you know they're not going to believe you? How, why do you say that? Why do you have to preempt this idea that they're going to do something wrong or they're going to be on the wrong side of the divine uh, past? Who said uh, such a thing? So that's what Mazebi Yadecha means. Then Rashi goes on and says, Upshuto, Pshuto, I guess, I guess what Rashi means is that this distinction may not be, after all, in the olden times, in the olden times, in fact, if you go to the uh, uh, Dead Sea Scrolls in the Israel Museum, you know, the Patap, you go to the Patap and you look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, you'll see that they didn't put spaces in between uh, the words. But uh, that's what knowing how to read meant. You knew how to divide the words up. You knew how to divide the words up and, and read them. I read them correctly. It was only later on, apparently, because of the weakness people had, people didn't know how to read properly. So it was instituted that words, in between the words, there would be a space. There would be a space. So Rashi, go back to Rashi. Pshuto, kaadam she'omer lechaveiro, modeh ata she'zo she'lefanecha, even hu, omer lohei, it's like, you know, there's a certain style, like Rashi says, you know, if you're a magician, you're a magician, you just walk onto the stage and produce a bird. But you say, is there a bird here? No bird here. Come on from the audience and tell me if there's a bird in my hand or my hat. And then you do it. So the same thing is true according to Rashi Pshuto means that God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, ought to emphasize the fact that it's not a snake. That there's no snake hidden in the in the mate, in the staff. That's what that's what Rashi says. Right? The staff became a snake. Ramazlo al Yisrael shel he said, God wanted to remind Moshe Rabbeinu that he's starting off his career as a savior badly, and that he, Moshe Rabbeinu, he, Moshe Rabbeinu, is uh, uh, saying a, a, a nasty thing about the nation of and so he is—he adopted the, the the way of the snake. The snake is wily; is like tricky, it, it says things that it shouldn't say, it convinces people of that that's the power of the snake so according to Rashi why was the staff snake chosen to be a uh, oh that's not, what's the question that Rashi's answering what is the question, uh, other Rishonim explain it as well but you can see what is Rashi trying to explain to us would you say? I mean, I think it's. I think it is Rashi who's trying to explain it. Rashi doesn't understand why God made Moshe Rabbeinu do it in the middle of nowhere. Why couldn't God just say to Moshe Rabbeinu, "Listen, when you get to those Egyptians, 
and the Jews, they want to convince everybody that you're like hot stuff. So then drop the mate, it'll turn into a snake. And then pick it up and it'll turn back into a into a staff. Why, why, why now? Why they have to do it? Why they didn't believe that it would happen? Bad line of reasoning. Right? But why was it that Moshe Rabbeinu did these miracles, actually did them, before he did them? That was, that's the question. So Rashi's answer is, because on some level, these two miracles, we'll see the other miracle in a minute, apply to Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? They're his miracles. They're chosen for him, either to purify him, to clarify him, to to make him do tshuva, I mean, any of these, any of these possibilities, but that's what Rashi, that's what Rashi says. Now, if you go down to Pasuk Vav, where it says, Bitsorat Shikashal, he took out his hand, and it was white as snow, Bitsorat, it was leprous as snow, leprous white snow, that's what the Pasuk, that's what the Pasuk says. Uh, Rashi explains most of the things that we call leprosy are white are white oh this is like a dermatological issue so I better be careful right? I, like I said I don't know what it is I, I have no idea I haven't got a clue but they call it they call something leprosy which exists even today Right, imbaheret levanahi. So he brings a pasuk which indicates that levana, whiteness, is one of the primary features of leprosy. Okay, af baodzera mashal shonara siper baomro lo yaminuli. So here again, Rashi, the snake and the tsarad come to teach us a story about Moshe Rabbeinu. And what's the story of Moshe Rabbeinu that he said, They will not believe me when I come. And because of that, because of that, the image of the snake is used, and then the tzara'at, which is, a, as we know, a punishment for Lashon Hara, then Moshe Rabbeinu had to be punished for Lashon Hara. So to me, I mean, I find it a little distressing to think that Moshe Rabbeinu, when he was getting, when he was being charged, for uh, for this this purpose, as Moshe Rabbeinu, go out and save the Jewish people. Just at that moment, he spoke lashon hara. At that moment, he spoke lashon hara. At that moment, at that moment, God kind of berated him and said, "Do this, do this snake thing, and do this leprosy thing, and and do tshuva." I guess you know. Remember that what you said was a terrible thing. Now, if you look at the Ramban. <coughs> If you look at the Ramban, if you go down to the fifth wide line, Ashlicheu Arza, Ashlicheu Arza, right? The snake, Ashlicheu Arza, throw it down on the ground, and he did it, he threw it down on the ground. Rashi, I mean the Ramban, I'm sorry. Lo havinoti lama asahal totle Moshe. I don't understand why Moshe Rabbeinu himself privately, personally, did these miracles. Why was that? After all, Moshe Rabbeinu did believe that it was God. It was Emlo Yaminu, David Yisrael, 
But Moshe Rabbeinu, he believed. So if he believed, why did he have to, why did he have to go through this? So he says, uh, uh, He says, what the puzzle should have said is, this staff that you're holding in your hand, throw it down before them. Before B'nai Yisrael, before the people you're coming to convince, don't just throw it down now. There's no point to that. Similarly, the second sign, And therefore, the words of the Chachamim of Chazal are validated. Right? Shayalo Arishon Remes Right, that the first one, the Chachamim said that the first one, the Mateh, the staff, was uh, uh, to remind us that Moshe Rabbeinu spoke Lashon Hara, right, spoke Lashon Hara. Uh, and the other one, meaning the, the, the Tzarat, Lani Shobo. Oh. That's a, that's Chazal, Chazal say that. That the first sign, I mean, why did Moshe Rabbeinu have to do that? Because they were about him, as Rashi said. But the Ramban includes another statement in Chazal which even drives it home that the reason that the Matet turned into a snake was because Moshe Rabbeinu spoke Lashon Ara. And the reason that God then made him put his hand in his, in his cloak and become uh, tsar, and and become tsarua, right? He became lep- leprous. Uh, is because is because that was his punishment. He was being punished. I mean, it wasn't just uh, a second a second uh, thing. Uh, okay, etc. And that's the reason that Moshe Rabbeinu ran away. Because he was being punished and it hurt him. He was afraid that part of the punishment would be that he would be uh, uh, bitten by the, by the snake. And everybody, even though he knew it's from God and he knew you couldn't run away, but it's an instinct. If you know something is coming to get you, even if you think God sent it, you're going to run, right? It, do, it doesn't matter. Even if you, like in your seichel, you understand that you can't run away from God. But uh, you're not going to stay there. You're going to stay there and wait. That's what the Rambad says. Even though he knew, that's what God wants. That's what's going to happen. You're not going to be able to save yourself. That's ridiculous. Okay, this is a different, a different idea that even though God created the world, the creation of the world does not, you know, it's like, like philosophically, you could say, if God created the world, so that itself denies the possibility of there being miracles. 
because miracles means a change in nature, right? And if God made nature, so why, so nothing would ever change. It doesn't make sense to say that, but then somebody said, well, you know, God could create nature with a condition, right? It's nature, but if I want to change it, I'll change it. I mean, I, I don't want to get involved, but that's what the Ramban is talking about. That's what the Ramban is talking about. Uh, so he says, That this is something new that Moshe Rabbeinu had to understand that new things are going to happen, new kinds of miracles, things that could not... And that's why why some of the miracles are that way, really. Some of the miracles, some of the miracles are, are um, uh, statistically uh, unreasonable, but not unreasonable in themselves. Some miracles are unreasonable, right? So, so if there are a lot of tzvardim, uh, so it's statistically unlikely that this would happen, but it could happen. Could be a lot of frogs collected in one place but if if you think that something's coming down to heaven which is fire and snow together that seems to be a change in nature that couldn't happen in the world we live in so this is like a distinction that the Ramban goes over again and again as he goes through the miracles so this is something that uh, uh that Moshe Rabbeinu was learning. In other words, Moshe Rabbeinu was doing. He did the miracle. He was punished. He was punished for talking lashon hara. But the Ramban is not happy about that because that's something that should have happened in private, perhaps something that is not the. They, uh, we should not be interested in that. I mean, that's Moshe Rabbeinu. He's going to lead us out of the tribe. So the Rabban says, finally, he says, but there's something theologically appropriate to Moshe Rabbeinu who, uh, that he might not have known himself. And that is that God is uh, able to change nature in order to gain some, some, uh, purposeful uh, purposeful act. That's what that's what the Ramban says about Moshe Rabbeinu. So Moshe Rabbeinu sinned. Moshe Rabbeinu was punished. But Moshe Rabbeinu, in his punishment, also learned something that was relevant to B'nai Israel, and therefore the Torah takes the trouble to describe it and to speak about it. Okay, there are a few other a few other things that I wanted to look at, and uh, I just want to finish by by uh, by telling you what the uh, uh, what the Meshiloh said. I've told you many times who the Meshiloh is. <laughs> right, Ishbitz. So the Meshiloh, uh, just, uh, it's, it's not on the sheet. The, the, the wrong section was printed on the sheet. On the sheet. Uh, Safta. Where is it? So, in, in other words, you have, we have Rashi. Rashi says, Moshe Rabbeinu sinned, he spoke Lashon Hara, and therefore the snake and the, and the leprosy remind us that Moshe Rabbeinu sinned. The Ramban 
takes the same idea, but he speaks of it in a more expansive way. And he says, Moshe Rabbeinu sinned. Moshe Rabbeinu was urged to Paradigdutshuva. Moshe Rabbeinu was punished. The leprosy is a punishment for, for Moshe Rabbeinu. And finally, there was a theological lesson implied, and that's why it's in the Torah. If you'd ask that question, why do I have to know about what's going on between God and Moshe Rabbeinu? Because there is a lesson to be learned for all of us, for us, for all of us. Uh, so the... Uh, one second. Just wanted to. So, so the the Meshiloh explains whatever he explains, but at the end, when he talks about the status of Moshe Rabbeinu, he has he departs radically from the interpretation of the Ramban, and what he says is. And God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, hold on to the tail of the snake. He says, look into it. What does that mean? What do you mean, hold on to the snake? Why does he have to, I mean, if the snake wants to become a mate, a staff, so it'll just become, what, what, what does Moshe Rabbeinu have to be involved in that at all. So the Ishbisit says, Ishbisit says this, He says, he says, what God is saying to, Mo, to Moshe Rabbeinu is, take a look carefully at that snake. The snake represents uh, deceit, duplicity, difficult, difficult uh, to get along with the sin of, of Adam and Chava, that's all in the snake. Look carefully at that snake and tell me why you thought that B'nai Yisrael were v'heim lo yaminu li. They will not believe in me. Why, why, why do you think that? Why do you think they won't believe in me? Hashem 
He says, after all, I mean, this is a Ishbitza kind of position, whether they believe in you or not, is after all God's decision. It says everything comes from God. So, so really what you do is accusing God of something, that God is not going to let them believe in you. Like, why would you do a thing? Why, why would you say that? The Ishbitza said. Why would most Rabbeinu think such a thing? He says, And here he showed him, God showed Moshe Rabbeinu, that there is some rationale to what he said. That in fact it's going to happen. There will be situations of that they will not believe in Moshe Rabbeinu. For example, Remember Korach? Korach came out against Moshe Rabbeinu. He didn't believe that Moshe Rabbeinu knew better than anybody else what the truth was. Quite the contrary, Korach thought... We were all there at Har Sinai. We all received the Torah. So what makes you better than anybody else? And we, we have to think about the three difficult times that B'nai Israel had. Right? That the mateh was to remind us of the fact of the time that they uh, complained against Moshe Rabbeinu. Uh, uh, we we get sick and tired of what you. And then the snakes came out against them. So you understand about the snake? The snake was the punishment that B'nai Yisrael had for not believing in Moshe Rabbeinu in the desert. And then Moshe Rabbeinu had these, these stakes that were written on these placards of uh, whatever they were made out of, uh, tin of some kind, bronze. So, so you see that what's happening is, according to the Ishbitzer, is a kind of mini-series within the major series. Like there's one story. He says, Behelo Yaminuli. So what does that mean according to the Ishmael? Ishmael says, I, Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm not good enough because I know that there's a time, a time will come when they will come out against me, whether that's the time of Korach or the time of Ahemlo Yalinubi. He says, nevertheless, I know that it's going to happen. And when it happens, I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to be able to do it. So that, that what, what he did was, he says, He says, he says, uh, 
the Tzarat reminds us of the time that Moshe and Aaron came out against, came out against, uh, that Aaron and Miriam came out against Moshe Rabbeinu, and he took his hand, so, so Moshe Rabbeinu was, it, it was this is the conversation according to the, according to the, the, uh, uh, the Ishmael. Moshe Rabbeinu says, I'm not worth it. I'm not the right person for the job. Why aren't I the right person for the job? Because I see that in the future there's going to be a revolt against me. There'll be a revolt against me of the Nachash variety. And there's going to be a, a, a revolt, a revolt against me of the, of the, uh, Tzarat uh, variety. So how can I take this job when I know in advance that I'm going to fail? So what did God say? Grab onto the Nachashan because of Matel again. He calls that a tikkun. You know, here's God and Moshe Rabbeinu. God, Moshe, what does God say? Take the job. Moshe Rabbeinu says, I'm not going to be able to do it. I see in my mind's eye that I've lost. What does God say to Moshe Rabbeinu? Put your hand in your coat, you become, you become Tzarat, reminding him of Miriam and Aaron speaking against Moshe Rabbeinu. Take your hand out. That's the tikkun. It's fixed now. Somehow it was fixed so that Moshe Rabbeinu could become the leader of B'nai Israel. So you see, you see like a thousand years later, right? So it took a thousand years. Ramban, Rashi, and Ramban. The emphasis was on the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu sinned when he said, lo Right? According to, according to the Ishmael he didn't sin at all. He knew exactly what he was saying. And therefore, this mini-drama that took place between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Moshe Rabbeinu, they're the only ones there. There's nobody else there. He put, he, the staff becomes a snake, and God says, pick up the snake, fix it. Fix that snake. Get rid of that snake. And then the second thing was, Moshe, uh, Miriam and Aaron, take your hand out. Take your hand or put it back into, into your cloak and it'll all disappear, it'll get better. So that Moshe Rabbeinu, you could say, according to the, to the Ishbitzer, conceptually, I like that word, conceptually, right? You could say, what would, what did Moshe Rabbeinu come to say to HaKadosh Bohu? Either I'm not good enough. I can't really do it because I see in my mind's eye that they're going to revolt against me. Or, or, HaKadosh Baruch you want me to take this job? Fix it. Fix it so that the, the, the revolts against Moshe Rabbeinu will not be determining in their history. And so God said, okay, grab the Nachash and it turns into a Mateh, fixed it. Put your hand back into your cloak and take it out, and it's a healthy, a healthy arm. He fixed it. So that according to the Ishmael, not only is there no lush and horror, not only is there no lush and horror, there's only uh, good things, but it shows the caliber of Moshe Rabbeinu as a leader that he wouldn't accept the leadership position unless he knew he would be, he would be successful. And that's a position that Chatzidut generally has, uh, has applied itself to it. So, uh, one minute. <laughs> one minute. So you see, you see that, uh, that, uh, assuming that leprosy is a punishment for Lashon Hara, 
Assuming you could either use that assumption or not. Rashi and the Ramban feel that there's an intimacy here between Lashon Hara and uh, and uh, what was going on with Moshe Rabbeinu. Whereas according to the Ishbitzer, it's inconceivable that Moshe Rabbeinu would be talking Lashon Hara about B'nai Yisrael. And the discussion between Moshe Rabbeinu and God is totally, uh, totally uh, a different kind of discussion. And so you see, Rav Safrai Sablai, Rabbi Samlai, he said, you know what's going on in this, the order of things, remember? Shmini, Tazriya, Mitzorah, first there are animals, and it's just like the creation of the world. So you see, the Ramban said, that there was a theological innovation here that Moshe Rabbeinu had to understand that the world could change, that things could change, just like they were created in a certain way, but that creation is not the end of things. And that's what Rashi says, always say, you know, it's almost Yom HaTzmaut, it's Yom HaShoah, but, but uh, Rashi, uh, Rashi, the first Pasuk in the Chumash, Rashi says, why did the Torah start with Breshit? Why did the Torah start from a mitzvah, right? The mitzvah to all of the Jewish people. The answer, the answer Rashi is because the seven nations living in Eretz Canaan, they had a, they had a reasonable argument. They came to Yeshua or to B'nai Israel. They said, who do you think you are? We've been here for a million years. Who put us here? God put us here. So how could you come and say that God wants you to get rid of us? It's a pretty good argument. It's a pretty good argument so that Rashi says, that's the nature of creation. That's what we learn in, in, in even though there's, that creation is fixed, it's a done deal, but it can change. Even though it's a done deal, it could still change. And that's what Rashi says, the first Rashi in the Chumash. That's what the Rabban said, that the Moshe Rabbeinu learned here in this parasha. That's what, uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, said was the issue that Moshe Rabbeinu had with God like change it change what's going to happen into something make it more palatable make it more 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 possible and all of this around the argument about uh, about Sarat and Tumavatara next week there's no Sheyu next week is Yom Hashem, right?